You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So according to an article released by the Wall Street Journal, an average person makes about 35,000 decisions a day. And that's a pretty high number, 35,000 decisions a day. You know, what to eat, what to wear, who to meet, uh, um, who to hang out with, what to do. Uh, do I want to you know, wear my uh, red socks today or you know, yellow socks today? Um, that turns out to be about you know, every 2.5 seconds you are making a decision. So that's a lot of decisions that we make uh, a day. Life is really all about making decisions. Um, but there is some decisions that seem to be more important than others. For example, um, pursuing a career, right? Figuring out what you want to do as a, for a job where maybe you're in college and you're still trying to figure out what your major is going to be. Um, sometimes in relationships, you're wondering, okay, should I date this person? Should I marry this person? There's constant, uh, constant struggle to decide what to do. Maybe some financial decisions. Do I buy that, buy that car? You know, do I buy that house? Do I invest my money in a certain way? What do I do with my life? So making important decisions in life, um, it's really there, but it can be extremely difficult and also incredib- incredibly stressful especially for Christians. You know, before I made my wife, it took about three seconds to decide what I wanted for dinner. Um, you know, whatever was available, you know, based on my budget, I can just go by and, and eat some maybe burgers or, or Chinese food. But now that I'm married to my wife, it takes on average about 10 minutes to decide, um, and that's average, to decide what we want to eat. Sometimes we plan our meals for the week because you know, we know that it's going to be a struggle to decide uh, what we want to eat on the spot. You know, I always need to bring my wife into consideration. Sometimes you know, um, it's hard to decide what to eat because I know what she wants. Uh, some, a lot of times she likes Korean food, but I know I want burgers. Right? So... Um, so I know what she wants, but it's just that I don't like what she wants. Uh, <laughs> so it's difficult to make a decision. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to eat because it's not clear what she wants. Uh, the other day, we were deciding what to eat for lunch, and um, she said, okay, yeah, you can pick today. You can get anything. And I said, okay. Um, that means, um, okay, give me some options, and, and if, if it's good, you know, I'll say okay. So I said, hey, do you want to get Thai food? And it's like, oh, no, Thai food, we had that recently. Uh, do you want to get pho? Oh, I think we ate pho too much these days. And then the list goes on and on. And deep down inside, I'm just saying to myself, oh, just tell me. Just tell me what you want, and, and I'll, 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 I'll get it for you. You know, a lot of times, I think making decisions for Christians, kind of feel, we feel the same way. It, when we think about God, you know, we want to do what he, and please him, and we want to do what he wants. But there are certain things that we want as well. And there are times when there's this tension that we know what God wants, yet we know what we want. And we're like, okay, I don't know. I don't want what God wants. There are other times where it just seems unclear. You know, you have no idea what God wants, especially with some of those major decisions in life. You don't know if you should change your major, if you should change your job, if you go, should go for that promotion or pursue that person. 
It's just very unclear. And deep down inside, you're just screaming, God, just tell me what you want, you know, and I will carry it off. As believers, we put so much effort into figuring out God's will, and especially in prayer. Um, it says about 50% of Americans, uh, whether they're a Christian or not, they pray, especially when they have big life decisions. So it's our natural reaction to pray when we need to make a decision, right, especially a big one. But how exactly do we pray? You know, how, how can we seek for guidance? You know, we spend time in the Word of God. We spend time in prayer hoping that we would receive some sort of direction. But a lot of times, it just feels like you know, God is putting us on holds. Uh, my first computer, um, it, it was a Dell computer. Hopefully no one works for Dell. Uh, and, uh, and back in the day, computers, you know, it, it was just a headache to, to fix it, right? Um, and it's not like there's a lot of stores around. So you, if something was wrong with a computer, you would have to call the operator. And on average, I think I waited an hour on average just to get received service, you know, they always say all the lines are currently busy. I mean, no matter when you call the company, it's like all the lines are currently busy. And because of that, next time my computer had issues, I was like, okay, I'm not going to call the company. I'm just going to get a new computer. No, I gave up on the company. Now, we often get discouraged when we pray because God seems just to be just putting us on hold. seems like he just, he's just busy answering other calls. No, but there's something more discouraging about this situation because while you are struggling to figure out God's will and you are struggling to figure out God's plan, it just seems like everyone else is doing fine, right? Everyone else is just making decisions that are, that's, that are good, especially for people who don't know God, right? You know, your friends who deny God, they're the ones who, when you look at their Instagram account, they are living the life. Right? They are traveling, they are posting good food, they are always partying. It just seems like there's so much fun um, in their life. You know, the coworkers that ignore God, they are the ones who get promoted before you. They are the ones who get praised in, in the work field. And you wonder, you know, why? If, if things are going to be like this, if those people who don't even care about God, don't even know God, are prospering in life, why should I even bother to pray? And that's where we find ourselves in Psalm 37, because David, he speaks truth to um, the audience who are in a very similar situation. And through Psalm 37, I want us to see three things, three things that we ought to do when we don't see God's plan and when those who do not know God are prospering. So when you don't see God's plan and life doesn't seem as if it's fair, um, number one, we ought to look ahead. Three times in the first 11 verses of the psalm, David says, don't get worked up by the prosperity around you. Don't get caught up by the prosperity around you. Verse one, it says, fret not yourselves because, because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Verse seven, in the middle, it says, fret not yourselves over the ones who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil um, devices. In the middle of verse 8, it says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. So the word fret, that's a very kind of, that's not a normal word that we use uh, in our everyday life, but it means to be worried, to be anxious in an extreme way. Um, it literally means in the Hebrew to get heated. So there's a sense where you are getting angry. 
um, in your, at, at your situation. So when David says, fret not, he's talking about, okay, don't get worried about life. Don't get mad about life, especially when so much prosperity is going around, uh, is happening around you. No, don't get jealous. Don't get envy or don't get angry because people are just succeeding around you. Why? Because their success will fall apart rather quickly. Now in verse 2, it says this, For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herbs. So because the things of the world and the things that the world has to offer um, are temporary because they fade away rather quickly, you know, like money, like comfort, fame, security, the things of this world, if you think about the things that people pursue, they're not eternal. They're rather temporary. They're just like grass that fall apart and they fade away. Verse 9, it says, For evildoers shall, shall be cut off. Verse 10, In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. So although right now it seems like people are prospering, it seems like people have everything together, just in a little bit, things are going to fall apart. When you feel lost, look ahead. Because when people are prospering in their wickedness, later on you'll see that they will fall apart. Eventually the wicked will perish and the righteous will flourish. And that is the main theme of the book of Psalm. Because the book of Psalms really tells us that there's only two ways to live. And that's how the, the, the book of Psalms opens up. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. So there's this clear contrast between the righteous who delights in the Lord and the wicked. And later on, it talks about how the righteous are like a tree planted on streams of water, while the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. And towards the end, it talks about how the righteous, their way is known to God. However, the wicked will perish. The book of Psalms constantly contrasts the, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. And although it seems like the way of the righteous right now, it stinks, it's difficult, it's not it's appealing, God says, ultimately, I'll bring justice. And there's going to be a day where things are going to be corrected, that things are going to be made right. And the wicked at that day will stand in front of my judgment seat and they will perish while the righteous will live with me in eternity. So when life doesn't seem fair, when you feel, lost, when you feel like you're lost in life, look ahead. But also look to God. Four times from verse 3 to verse 7, the Lord tells us to place our vision on him. He tells us that the center of our vision must be the Lord. Verse 3, it says this, trust in the Lord. Meaning, remember what I have done. Remember who I am. Therefore, trust me. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Now, find satisfaction in my presence. Commit your way to the Lord. Verse 5. You know, and the Hebrew word there for commit literally means give your burdens to me. You know, give your burdens to the Lord. Whatever baggage that you have, give it to the Lord. And just to sum all this idea up, in verse 7 it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. When life seems unfair and you don't know where to go, God is telling you to look forward and also to look up, to look at him. You know, a lot of times... Um, we get obsessed about knowing God's plan. How many of you prayed that prayer before? You know, God, just tell me where to go. 
you know, if I only knew who to marry, if I only knew where to go or what to do, my life would be so much easier. Why can't God just give us a life plan, right, and give us, like, a, a life grab, tell us what's going to happen in our life so we, we can prepare ourselves and so that we can live more faithfully to the Lord? Have you ever thought about that? Why does he reveal this maybe step by step? I think he can. I think he can draw up our life diagram and show us what's going to happen and give us a plan. Hey, this is what I want you to do. The issue is not about revealing his plan. The issue is if he does reveal your, his plan, will you be able to carry it out? That's the question. You know, if God puts his plan right in front of you, most likely on our own, we, we won't be able to carry it out. No, it is because God knows how much we can take. It's because God knows that if he reveals his plan to us, that he knows that we are going to fall apart. So instead of revealing his plan, he promises his presence. He says, okay, maybe I'm not going to reveal everything to you, but I promise my presence to you. You know, there's this uh, Christian movie called uh, Facing the Giants, and there's this famous scene where um, this high school football team, um, they're practicing, right? And they have, a they have a horrible track record. And so, um, and so people are being defeated. They feel like, you know, there's this great opponent coming up um, uh, next game. And so the, kind of the, the lead guy, the captain, says, okay, you know, you know coach, you know, how good are the other, other kids? You know, we have no chance. And the coach, instead of responding to, to, to that kid, he tells Tell, tell us the captain, hey, come up here, you know, put a guy on your back and do the death crawl. The death crawl is you get on, on your hands and your feet and you crawl um, along the field. And the guy says, yeah, I can probably do it for 30 yards, maybe if I'm okay, maybe 40 yards. And so the coach says, don't assume how long you can go, how much you can go, but instead just give me your best. Just try your best. And there's one twist to this that he gives a blindfold to um, the captain. So this guy is blindfolded. He's doing the death crawl with a guy who weighs about 160 pounds on his back. And he is sweating every single way. And, and, and he's going, he's going, and coaches keep yelling, just give me your best. Give me your best. Don't quit on me. Just walk until you can't feel your legs, you know. Just let it burn. And he goes and goes and goes, and, and somewhere along the lines, the, the, the guy says, I can't go anymore. I, I want to give up. And the coach says, no, you know, just don't think about it. Just give me your best. And what happens is when he takes the blindfold off, he thinks he's about halfway there on the 50-yard line. And the coach says, you're at the end zone. A lot of times we underestimate, I guess, uh, we uh, underestimate what we can do, especially when we measure ourselves up to God's plan. But what God is saying is, if you look at how weak you are, you're never going to be able to carry out on this plan. But I promise my presence to you, and when my presence is with you, man, incredible things can happen. You will do things that are far beyond your ability and far beyond your imagination. Did you know that God's plan is pretty crazy? That he doesn't come up with normal plans, that he, his plan is not just for you to have a good retirement plan, live at a beach house, and collect seashells. No, he, his plan is pretty crazy. What he says is he plans to use you to make dead people alive. 
He says that he plans to use you um, to reach out to those who are lost. He says that his plan for you is to change you into the image of Christ. He says that his plan for you is, is to be salt and light in this world, in this wicked world. He says that his plan for you is so that you can be an image barrier to reflect God's glory, his character, and his love. Did you know that that is his plan? And when we are praying for God's plan and his will, we are praying a dangerous prayer. Because he's not just saying, okay, you're going to have this career and you're going to have a good life. His plan is pretty crazy, pretty extreme. On our own, there's no way we can live up to God's design. There's no way we can live up to God's calling. We don't have the ability or the capacity to carry out his plan. And I think that's why sometimes God just doesn't reveal his entire plan. Because what's more important than his plan is his presence. Did you notice that every time God makes a promise to Israel, even in the New Testament, when Jesus commissions his disciples, his directions are pretty general. Go make disciples, right? In the Old Testament, know that I'm God. But he always promises his presence. His plan might not be clear, but his presence is pretty clear. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No, and behold, I am always with you to the end of the ages. God's plan is pretty crazy. And because of that, more than a plan, we need his presence. Trust, delight, commit, and be still before the Lord. When you feel lost, when life seems unfair, rather than focusing on you and the people around you who are prospering, look ahead and look to God. And finally, when you feel lost, look to do good. In verse 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend, befriend faithfulness. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Notice that David, when he talks about obedience, he's talking in terms of trust. The foundation of David's obedience is not blessings or plans, but it is trust. David is saying, even when I don't understand God's plan, you know, I decide to do good. I choose to commit my ways to the Lord. You know, a lot of times we get this order kind of you know, mixed up. We say that, God, if you reveal your plan to me, I'll trust you. God, if you give me your blessing, I will commit to you. God, you do something first. You give me some sort of sign, and I'm going to go all in in this plan. But what God is telling us today is that his character, his nature Everything that he already done through his son, Jesus Christ, is enough for us to go all in in him. It is enough for us to trust him. God says, when you trust me, in verse 5, I will act. Now, during my four years of, of college, I studied biochemistry, and I was sitting in my classroom. Um, I'm about to graduate in a couple of weeks. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I really don't like biochemistry. It took me four years to realize that I don't like biochemistry. Man, I wish I would have known it earlier, right? So at least I could change my major. So there I was uh, after four years, completely lost, you know, went through all that education. And I'm still, you know, not sure where I'm supposed to go. 
But one thing I knew was I had a passion for missions. Uh, I always wanted to become a missionary or be involved in missions in some way. So I said, okay, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to kind of maybe go overseas for a little bit, try out this thing called missions. So I was with um, an organization called Youth with a Mission. I did a discipleship training school with them, and for three months there was this lecture phase where they would teach me the Word of God and, and everything about God. And for three months I was in Cairo, Egypt, um, serving the Lord, um, reaching out to people. And when I went to, so my training happened in uh, Lausanne, Switzerland. And when I went to Lausanne, Switzerland, I was so determined to be faithful to God. I said, I'm going to buy a one-way ticket. And after these six months, you know, God, I know that you're going to speak. I'm going to cry out to you. I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to seek your face and seek your plans. That after these six months, I'm going to know for sure where, I'm gonna, I, well, where, where I'll need to go. So I'm not even going to buy a round ticket. I'm not coming back home, right? One-way ticket. Lecture phase ended. I'm like, okay, God, still you're not speaking. Maybe it's that during the outreach, right? God is going to speak to me for sure. And days passed by. And I noticed that the day to go back home is, is, is approaching, right? We came back to Lausanne uh, one week. We have a debrief meeting. And while people are celebrating how they're going to kind of live out their faith, sharing their experiences and how they're going to you know, take this back home and, and live their lives, I'm saying to myself, I have no idea where to go. No, I didn't even buy a ticket yet. God, for six months, I prayed. And I cried out to you. Sometimes I would just walk in the woods for hours asking God, what do you want me to do? Just tell me. God, just show yourself to me. And you know, you know what made it worse? It seemed like everyone else had things figured out. You know, when I would contact friends back home or people I knew, it seems like they don't need to cry out to the Lord. Their life is set. They're already pursuing a career. The guys who, you know, who, who I knew, they, didn't, they never studied in college. They're like pursuing these good careers, you know, flourishing in their jobs. And here I am. You know, I'm struggling to figure out my life. And I feel miserable. And at that moment, you know, I realized something, though. I realized something that was more, that there's more, something more valuable than God's plan. It's a perspective. You know, the six months that I spent with YMDTS, um, I still didn't know what to do with my life. But there's one thing that was for sure. I knew that God was real. Uh, my faith was solidified. Um, and really the teaching that I received and the things that I've seen in Egypt changed the way that I viewed my life. You know, seeing the brokenness in a foreign land made me realize that that prosperity is not just a given, that there are people just struggling to put food on the table, that there are people who are dying, getting stoned by their family because of their faith. You know, I realized that there's so much need in this world, and also I realized how small I am too. Right? In, in America, with, with my friends, I feel I can do everything. Man, just even carrying out a conversation was a struggle, and so I realized how little I am. And lastly, I realized how big God is. God changed my perspective in life. And at that moment, I still didn't know where to go, but I wasn't worried anymore. I wasn't lost anymore, although I didn't have clear directions because I was confident in the Lord. I was confident that when I trust in him and I commit my works to him, that he'll be faithful and he would 
where one of my favorite verses in the entire scripture comes from Proverbs 16, 3. And it says, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Did you know that? A lot of times you say, my plans will be established, then I'll commit to the Lord. No, the Lord says, the way that you commit to me is not based on my plans, but it's based on me. That when you have assurance and you understand that I'm your God and you live faithfully every single day and that you choose to do the work of God every single day, I will show you the way. Even in today's passage, he says, I'll give you the desires of your heart. He's not saying that, you know, whatever you ask, I'm going to give. He's saying that when you commit yourself to me, when you trust um, in me, what's going to happen is my desire is going to be the Lord's desire. What I want is going to be what God wants, right? I'm going to want to love other people. I'm going to want to share. I'm going to want to, um, reach, to reach out to people for the gospel. What happens is when I ch- fix my works to the Lord, my desires begin to change. And when my desires begin to change, I begin to ask the right thing. And when I begin to ask the right thing, God begins the work. It's not the other way around. You know, do you know why God tells us not to fret, not to worry, or not to be envy or get mad at life? It's because fretting, um, being jealous, being mad, it really comes from this idea that I deserve a better life. When you are mad at other people, when you are mad at God, it really comes from this idea that I deserve something better. And that is sin. You know, being discontent with life, not looking at all the blessings that God has given you, not getting, looking at the opportunities that are in front of you. But when you are so fixated on yourself and you say, I deserve better, and when you are discontent, that is really the root issue. That is sin. And you know what sin does? Sin distorts your vision. Sin disconnects you from a sense of reality. You know, God... It's not asking you to deny your struggles or asking you to deny um, the fact that you are lost. You know, prayer is not like alcohol or drugs. It's not a way to escape reality. Sometimes, you know, we come into a chapel, we praise God, and for maybe a couple hours we feel good. because Not because really anything changed, but for those couple hours it's like we're intoxicated by God's presence, right? But when we walk out of this room, it's like, okay, here, here goes life again. And we get worried and worried. No, alcohol, drugs, they help you to escape reality. Prayer helps you to get in touch with reality. I love what Tim Keller says in his book called Prayer. He says, prayer is like waking up from a nightmare to reality. You know, I dream a lot. I don't know about you, but I dream some horrible dreams. And one time I had this dream where I was standing in front of a room uh, and I was supposed to preach, but you know I had no notes. I, I didn't know, and I, I was just stuttering along the way. Um, people were not responding. Uh, it felt so real. Maybe it's because sometimes that does happen to me. Right? <laughs> so real, right? And I wake up and I'm like, oh, like you know, confused. I'm 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 broken. And then I realize that oh, it was just a dream. And and then I laugh at myself. I laugh at myself. Sometimes I cry in my dreams. I don't know if you do do that, but I lose someone that I love, and I can tell that you know I'm really sad. I'm crying, and I wake up. There's some tears in my eyes, and I'm like, "Oh, but it's just a dream." But at that moment, that felt so real. Those emotions, the things that I I, I dreamed about, it felt so real. However, what happened was when I woke up, I 
my eyes were open to a greater reality. Sometimes it's the opposite way. Sometimes you wake up from a very sweet dream, right? It's like you're with that, the lover of your life you know, in a, on a beach, right? You're, 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 you're enjoying the scenery, and then you wake up, right? Just before you're about to kiss. It's like you, you wake up, it's like, and you re, you, you, your eyes are open to the harsh reality. You, you, your eyes are open to the reality that life is not that easy, right? It's, I mean, life is, is sweet, but there's some difficult, difficulties in it. What I'm trying to say is prayer helps you to get in touch with reality because sin distorts reality. Prayer is like waking up from a nightmare where you can see a greater reality. You know, prayer brings perspective. It brings God into the picture, and it reorients your whole sense of reality. So what we really need is not a plan. What we really need is the right perspective of God, of life. Because you might know the plan, but if you don't have the right perspective, you would never be able to carry that out. And when you are in Christ, you have access to the Father. You have this privilege where you can call out to the Lord in prayer. But also, what Christ does for you is he kind of rearranges your mind. Um, he renews your mind. He allows you to see the things that you've never seen before. He makes you aware of his presence. He makes you aware of the promises of God. He brings things into perspective. Now, the suffering that you um, have has meaning. Maybe the struggles in life, it makes sense. Um, the difficulties in life, because you have a perspective, you're able to endure. Jesus brings perspective. You know, verse 39, I just want to end with this. It says, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. You might say, how do I trust the Lord when I don't even see him? How do I commit my works when, you know, I can't even feel him? Well, God says, see how God saves. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. God gave us a clear demonstration of his faithfulness on the cross when Jesus died for us. While we were still sinners, when everything seemed to be falling apart, God made a way for us. And till this day, he is leading you and me in a faithful way. We don't know how exactly we're going to end up in glory, but we know that we will. But along the way, he promises his presence. He promises that he would be with you no matter what. And that, my friends, is more than enough. We can have confidence. So stop being obsessed about figuring out a plan. But be obsessed about God's presence and having his perspective. Let's pray. So what are you worried about? Do you get mad because you feel like life is unfair? Do you feel like God is just being nice to everyone else and allowing you to suffer? Do you struggle with discontentment? If that is you, what you need is not simply a plan or direction. What you need is a perspective in life. God, he is faithful. 
he is always right. He doesn't leave his, his children hanging. He does guide. But he understands, though, that more than a plan, that we need his presence. Because without his presence, we can never carry out his plan. Do you desire his presence? Or are you simply asking for a plan so that you can live your own life and you can try to live on your own strength? God is telling you today, surrender. Trust in me. You know, when, I, I, when someone first comes to our church and they ask where the bathroom is, um, I always make sure I go with them to show exactly where the bathroom is. I can give them directions. A lot of times, nine out of ten times, they get lost along the way. Do you see, just having directions is not enough. Sometimes you don't know that person, when they're walking with me, they don't have the directions, but they have my presence. And the person that is leading them knows exactly where they're walking towards. That is God. So cling on to him, trust him, commit your works to him. Let's pray.